0: You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 71 with Beth McCord.
1: But the power of the Enneagram, why it's so much more profound than some of the other personality typologies. This one though is explaining why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So we have these core fears and core desires. So the core fears we're running away from like...
0: Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker. What would you say your favorite vacation spot has been and why? And this can be with or without kids. Okay, so
1: my favorite vacation spot is called Rockbridge, Missouri. And it is literally a a tiny, tiny town that used to be a, a have a grits mill on it, but now it is a fly fishing trout ranch. Um, and we go twice a year and there's no cell phone service. And so you, and it's, but it's kind of, I mean, it's not super fancy, but it's secluded. Um, but it's so nice because you're just there in nature and it's amazing.
0: How did you find this place?
1: My dad found it, um, 35 years ago or not, I guess not quite that long, close to it when I was 10 years old Yeah, and we've been going two or three times every Year since. Um, And so my kids have grown up there. And when we get down there, even though we're there for four days, it feels like we're there for like seven because, again, there's no internet or no TV or whatever. We just are together and talking and enjoying nature. There's like a waterfall and amazing scenery. So for me, uh, as people will learn about my type, that's an awesome place because there's a lot of Rest and peace and mm. be yeah
0: yeah <laughs> how, all in it. How does um, the rest of the family feel about it? Like oh they they love it too okay. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah they love it too. How mm. far is it from Nashville? Like do you drive? Yeah well so for
1: my parents they live in Kansas City and it's about four hours. Mm. Um but for me it's about eight hours. Okay. So it is a longer drive but since we've moved around we just have to you're used to do, it. Yeah. do the drive. Yep yeah.
0: So do you stay in a cabin or something?
1: They have actually, um, they're kind of like hotel rooms. Mm. Um, they're, it kind of looks more like a motel, but they're nice. But they're at the same time, it's a fish, fishing ranch. So it's not like super fancy. Sure. Um, because you're walking <laughs> yeah. around in waiters yeah. and you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so, but the, they have a restaurant there. It's like, okay, so it's really literally like 19 or 1850s because oh. that's what this, this little town was there. And so there's this red mill and then literally like. 30 yards from it is their general store, which now is their kind of their hotel lodge and Mm. the restaurant. Yeah. Um, And then they have the, what was the bank, this tiny little bank next door. And then what's across the street, which is literally like 15 yards away is the old school. And I mean, it's just all right there. And so then all of the hotel or motel type rooms are on the outside of all that. And some of them are overlooking the, um, the waterfall, where the uh, mill is, the Red Mill. And that's where you can fish. And then the, the fishing stream goes about two miles. So you can fish anywhere between that beginning point and down the river. It's just glorious. That's really so cool. We'll do, like, we'll do like bonfires at night. And oh, it's just amazing.
0: So, okay, what is the name again?
1: It's Rockbridge, Missouri, or it's Rainbow Trout, Rainbow F- Trout Fishing Ranch,
0: something mm. like that. And is that uh, what you, you guys you, fish for is Rainbow Trout?
1: Yes, that's what they have. and it's And you can... Uh, take them home and cook them. I mean, it's just fabulous. But it's about, um, let's see, an hour from Springfield and really close to the Arkansas border. Okay. Yeah. yeah that sounds- Very secluded, which is nice because then yeah. you're just out there.
0: That sounds fun, definitely for people who love to fish. Yes. And um, I think of my father-in-law; I feel like that would be something that he would really love to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something uh, to look into for sure. Yeah,
1: and they have horseback riding and uh, yeah, hunting and other things. So yeah, it kind of you know for anyone really, if you just like to be with your family and yeah. a few people like to fish, the rest mm-hmm. of you can do other things together. So yeah, it's pretty spectacular.
0: Yeah, it sounds very opposite of what our society is like. So that's yeah. where I feel like that could be very appealing or, or make people yes. have panic attacks. I'm not right. sure. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Well, let's get started. How about you share with us your name, where you're from, and how many kids you have, and then how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, great. So I'm Beth McCord, and I am originally, like I said, I'm from Kansas City, and I live now just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in Franklin. I have two kids. Um, Nathan is 19, a freshman in college. And Libby is a senior in high school here in Franklin.
0: Awesome. And then how did you get to where you are today?
1: Oh, yeah. Kind of just summing up
0: into, I got married when I was
1: 20 to my best friend, uh, Jeff. We've been married 22 years. And um, being a pastor's wife um, and just digging into the word, but really wanting to know how to really transform the heart versus just the behavior Um, has been my life's work. And then wanting to bless others with it is really kind of where I've landed today, which was what you'll be hearing about.
0: Yeah. Well, and that leads me to my first question. Um, So you're an Enneagram coach, but let's first, let's back up. And uh, how about you explain what is the Enneagram? I know that, I know that I feel like it's getting more popular, but I'm sure people are kind of still like, what does Mm -hmm. this mean? Um, So how about you jump into that? And then we'll talk about how you decided to become a coach.
1: No, that's great. Yeah. So the Enneagram is uh, basically a personality system, a tool, a resource, but the power of the Enneagram, why it's so much uh, more profound than some of the other personality types, which are typologies, which those are great. This one though, is explaining why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So we have basically these core fears and core desires. So we, the core fears we're running away from, like, this cannot happen. I do not want this to happen. So those are your core fears, and that's motivating you in a direction. But also we have core desires that we're trying to obtain all the time. If I just had this happen, it would be amazing. That would be perfect. And so we're running away from core fears and running toward core desires. But we also have kind of like when Paul would say, oh, this thorn in my side, Lord, please take it away. I call those our core weakness, and we each have them that they are kind of our Achilles heel, the thorn in our side that keeps popping up over time and, and derailing us or causing us problems. Um, and so those are the things that we kind of try to figure out what your main type is based off of those, because that's the motivating force behind why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. And just to kind of give a little bit clearer vision of then what the Enneagram is, is I tell people it's like a GPS system. So just like my mom who's 70, I have to sit down and explain how to use it. You know, I, for those that are like in their 20s or 30s, 40s, it's like, oh, I know how to use it, that's no problem. You don't have to tell me. Well, the Enneagram is something so new to you that you really need to learn how it works, which is the structure of the symbol and how things flow for the personality. And so if you think about it as a GPS, if you're driving down on the highway, you have a destination you're wanting to go to, and that's what I call pe- tell people it's their healthiest destination. But then we always somehow end up falling in these common pitfalls on the side of the road. Um, it's like why do I do what I do? Why do I keep getting stuck? Um, well, those are those common pitfalls that we're trying to understand why we do it, but how to stay on our best path. And so the ennegram is really that rumble strip on the side of the highway, that's going to wake you up and say, this is why you're doing what you're doing. And if you keep doing that thing, you're going to be in that ditch again. And so my job as a coach is to help them to see why they veer off course, how to wake up, but then how to stay on their best path.
0: So what, what made you decide to become a coach like versus say, like just being a regular life coach or, or whatever, um, (laughs) what, what made you decide and, and, and how long have you been, um, you know, interested in Enneagram? Because I think people could think yeah. that this is very new, but right. <laughs> it's been around longer than I think most people realize.
1: Yeah, it's been around for basically 2,000 years uh, or 2,500 years. There's a lot of background to it that even people aren't really for sure about. But to then back up into today, because that's a whole nother story. But to back up into today, I've been studying it for 15 years. Um, and as a pastor's wife, again, like I was saying earlier, I really wanted to know why I did what I did. So when I had a friend, when we were in seminary, her counselor told her about it. And then she told me, um, and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense because my personality knows ourselves the least. And so to read about myself and to have someone explain it so clearly was amazing. Um, And so I wanted other people to understand themselves better. But beyond that, the blessing of being a pastor's wife and having someone alongside me that wanted to know their inner world too, but then to take the Enneagram and bring it through the lens of the gospel was really important to us. Um, The Enneagram in itself is neutral, but when you look online, you'll see people taking it in all sorts of directions, new age, um, mysticism, all sorts of different directions. And we really wanted to take it and to bring it through a biblical viewpoint. Um, And so that's really been our life work the last, you know, probably 12 years. Um, and so I, our favorite thing to do is to, to disciple people. Um, and so about a couple years ago, I had this epiphany like, oh, guess what? My, um, my children um, are going to be graduating from high school soon. What am I going to do <laughs> the next half of my life? And I just started thinking about what am I good at? You know, again, my personality knows ourselves the least. So, um, so what am I going to do Um, and the Lord just kind of put it before me, like, well, what do you love? I love discipling. I love the Enneagram um, and I love his word and I love being free in him. And so he just kind of made this all happen. So about two and a half years ago, he started really, um, laying out this plan for me and it just started flowing. Um, and so I really kind of have designed my own unique way of doing Enneagram coaching and it's been a blessing because it's really discipling people to, um, be free from being a slave to um, their core fears and the patterns that get them stuck in self-condemnation, shame and fear and moving them to who they really are, which is a beloved child in Christ, free, forgiven um, and cherished. And so that's my life's work is taking them from that place to who they really are.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think we're, we're going to jump into like how um does the Enneagram from a gospel perspective transform a couple's marriage when we uh mm-hmm. jump into the marriage stuff, but I do feel like that it has, you know, a great It's a great way to have the Enneagram with the gospel versus just having it as the neutral, right? Because it just feels completely different knowing, you know, from Jesus' perspective and, and, you know, you and I and um, Todd are doing the couples coaching and just kind of going through the personalities and just looking at it from the Enneagram by itself, but then also looking at it from like what what is jesus's point of view on all of this mm-hmm. and i i think that's so great because i think a lot of times we want to do things um all on our own and we really don't have to. And so I feel like you kind of shed the um, light on that and that we can kind of rest, you know, that Jesus died for our sins and that we're not having to try to do everything on our own. So before we go further in, I'm going to have you explain the numbers so people aren't completely confused yeah. on what we're saying. <laughs> right? So how about you go into every number? I know you can't go into complete detail, but you can talk about the core fears and the core desires and right. um, and just kind of what their tagline to each number is. Yeah, we'd be happy to. And and as we talked earlier, you
1: know, there is a course that I have that will take people much deeper and you'll let them know about that at the end. So that way people Mm -hmm. who are hearing these little brief snippets are like, what? I don't get it. We've got you covered. So, um, okay. So the type one, there's nine types, there's nine personality types and they're the basic personality types because we do use all nine types to different degrees, but one is our main dominant type. And again, this is the one that we're running away from certain core fears and trying to obtain core desires, and we have this core weakness. So those are the things that I'm, I'm going to actually probably just here highlight the core fear and the core desire, um, and we'll leave the rest of it for the course. So the type one is the moral perfectionist. They, uh, their core fear is being wrong, bad, evil, inappropriate, or corruptible, and they desire to have integrity, to be right, virtuous, to basically be the good boy or the good girl. This has to do with ethics and what's right versus what's wrong. And it's because they have a very loud one inner critic that has a megaphone that's berating them all the time on what is right and what is wrong. And so they're trying to appease that inner critic by being very ethical and perfect. The type two is a supportive advisor. Their core fear is being worthless, needy, inconsequential, uh, dispensable, or basically being unworthy of love. Now, their core desire is to be loved and wanted. And how this looks like for them is... When they give, serve, and help, they're hoping to hear appreciation, gratitude um, in some form or fashion, a thankfulness. And that is what feels like love to them. So that's why they're constantly focusing on other people's needs and inserting themselves into people's lives with a helpful hand of some kind to get that gratitude and affirmation in return um, so that they can feel loved. The type three is the successful achiever. And their core fear is failing, being incompetent, inefficient, exposed, worthless, or appearing unsuccessful. And so their core desire is to be valuable, successful, admired, and definitely respected. Um, And so the threes, it's all about image. What do people think? Am I being um, the best in any moment? And so they're the shapeshifters. They know exactly in a social setting how to act and talk so that they can appear the best or most most capable, uh, most admired type of person. Now, the type four is the romantic individualist. And their fear is the fear of being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective or flawed and they definitely fear not having a certain significance. And their desire is to be unique, special, and their authentic self. So the fours, they feel like there is something missing in them and they're longing to make that right. So think of a puzzle that has, you know, you've done this beautiful puzzle, but there's that missing piece right in the middle. Oh man, well that's how the four feels about them. There's that some there's something missing. But everyone else has a perfect puzzle, and so it creates longing and envy for them because they feel like something's wrong. Um, The five is the investigative thinker. They fear annihilation, being ignorant, invaded, incapable. They fear not being existing and having obligations placed upon them, and they desire to be capable and competent. Now, what really helps people to understand fives is their core weakness. So I'm going to just talk about that for them just a little bit, just because a lot of people are like, well, I love to read. And so they might think that they're a five, but what helps to understand a five is this need to have privacy and time alone for them. It's as if their, um, cell phone battery their their being the, the thing that keeps them charged only operates on 20% every day. Whereas extroverts might run on and actually 120%. They can just keep going until the next day. The fives are more than just the introvert. It's that they only have so much internal uh, resources to extend that day. So they have to manage their day very carefully. So um, surprises, intrusions, obligations placed on them. It's like as as if I took your phone that has 5% left on your cell phone battery, and I were to take it out of your hands and start streaming a video. It would suck the you know, the battery life right out of it. And that's how they feel when obligations, surprises are placed on them. So they need to recharge. And that's where they go and be alone to process their thoughts and feelings. Because if they don't, they feel like there's going to be catastrophic depletion. And so that's a little bit of a glimpse on um, how to distinguish a five. Now, the six is the loyal guardian. They fear fear itself, being without support, guidance, and security. They fear being alone, blamed, targeted, and definitely physically abandoned. Now, their desire is to have security, guidance, and support. Now, to help understand a six, because sixes can sometimes look like several numbers, um, a lot of times they'll say, well, it depends. And that's kind of how you can know a six, because they can be two sides of a, the same coin. They can be fearful and brave, introverted and extroverted. Um, so they're kind of a walking contradiction. Um but what, how you can understand a six is they have constant anxiety about what could happen. So they're planning um, and predicting. And the reason that they, you know, they have this struggle is inside, they don't just have one inner critic like the one. They have an inner committee. And this inner committee is chiming in from all sorts of angles. Well, what about this? What about that? This could happen, but that could happen. And it's coming from all variety of angles. And so all of a sudden, it's like, well, which one should I listen to? And so they feel confused and they're self-doubt. And that's where they go and ask people for their advice so that they feel more confident and secure to move in a specific direction. So that can help you to understand a six. Now, type seven is the entertaining optimist. They fear being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, limited, bored. And they definitely miss, uh, or they fear missing out on something really fun or anything really. Um, And they desire to be happy, fully satisfied and content. And so they feel as if there's this emptiness inside them, like a bucket that has holes in it. And they keep trying to fill it up with these fun experiences and um, stimulation so that they can feel finally filled up. It's kind of like if, if you're, we're starving and we just want to fill ourselves up with food. That's kind of what they're doing with their life. But there's those holes in the bucket, so it keeps slipping out. And so they feel this urgent need to constantly fill and fill and fill. Um, and so obviously with coaching, we kind of help how to understand how to go against that and how to then feel truly satisfied and content. Um, the type eight is a protective challenger. They fear being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, manipulated, and at the mercy of injustice. And because of that, their desire is to protect themselves. But they also want to protect those that um, are innocent and at the mercy of injustice. Um, they're a very visceral type of personality where they see injustice, they're going to move instinctively and they're going to be very strong. They're not, it's not going to even really be a thought process. Um, they're very direct and outspoken. And so that's where they're, um, you can kind of feel their intensity and the need for control that comes out. And again, it's a, it's mainly about, um, protecting themselves from that core fear. Um, type nine is the peaceful mediator. They fear being in conflict to be loveless To be shut out of a group, to not belong, to have a discordant relationship with anyone, any kind of tension between them and someone else, they definitely fear and it's very painful to feel overlooked or to be overlooked. Um, Now, their desire is to have inner stability and peace of mind. It's kind of like you know you, when you see a lake and there's a lot of wind and it's choppy, they just want it to get back to smooth. You know, let's just kind of like me, let's just go to Rockbridge and just sit there <laughs> yeah. and look at the the nice river and just enjoy. It. So that's really what a nine's wanting is like. Let's all get along and just have peace and harmony. Um, but by what they do though to get that is they lose themselves, they forget themselves, and they merge with others. Desires, passions, like basically learn how to go along to get along to try to create that smooth um, atmosphere and peace. Um, But again, the problem with that is they lose themselves in the process. So, that in a nutshell kind of sums up very obviously (laughs) quickly the nine types.
0: Yeah. And so, one thing you were saying, um, were you saying that for yourself, because you're a nine, that it's hard to recognize? yourself? Or do you mean yes. that with anyone? Or is it no. more than nine specifically?
1: More than nine specifically, the nines are basically walking in a fog all the time, no mm. matter even how clear mm. they become of themselves. If you were to ask me right now, hey, let's go out to lunch today. Uh, where do you want to go? And you ask me that question. I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd have to sit there and think because we, we don't usually know instantly what we want or what we're thinking, because Mm -hmm. our whole life has been trying to um, consciously and unconsciously understand other people and what they want and to merge with them and to make them happy to keep those waters smooth. And so we've flushed ourselves out with everyone else's desires. And so we're trying to figure, hopefully we're trying to figure out ourselves instead of merging with others. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's really a life's work, but even when we do become aware, we're still in a fog. It may not be as thick as when we started, but if you were to ask me, I, every time someone asks me a question, like even at the beginning, you're like, this is an easy question. Where do you, <laughs> where do you want to go? <laughs> For or, travel? Yeah. I mean, one, I had like five things in my head and then two, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, what is it? You know? So yeah. when nine has asked anything personal about themselves, there mm. is a fog. Um, but just like when we drive in a fog, there. The, the destination ahead is there. So the desire, the longings, it is there. But are we willing to keep driving so that it becomes clear, just like we know when we're driving in the fog, eventually that, you know, the Walgreens that you're trying to find will show up if you keep driving slowly, um, it will show up eventually. And so that's the same with a nine is, um, but they don't want to sometimes do that work. And that's where their core weakness of internal sloth comes in.
2: Mm.
1: Um, again, it's to protect themselves from this core fear and to get their core desire. Um, but yeah, so we have a hard time knowing ourselves.
0: That is interesting. Um, is there a number that you would say is most misunderstood? I would say,
1: um, every person misunderstands almost all the other numbers until they, mm. until they <laughs> see, see their perspective. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why I say that, and that is is really important, but I will actually um, answer your question, but we are all wearing, let's say I'm a nine and I know you're a two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wearing a particular colored lens. Um, so like, you know, I hope that everyone that's listening has put on like a sunglasses, that's a red lens or a blue lens. And it's like, Oh my gosh, the world looks so different. Um mm-hmm. Well, we're wearing a colored lens. And so when we swap with someone else that has a different colored lens, it's just like, oh, what? Like, (laughs) this is how you really see the world? Like, I just don't understand. (laughs) Um, But then it gives us understanding and compassion and insight and mercy and hopefully forgiveness for that person, because they might be doing things that are completely different than what we would ever think of doing, um, which is why we get irritated and frustrated and hurt and annoyed and all those things um, because people are literally seeing it from a a different viewpoint. So in one sense, we're all misunderstood, but then I would say um, type eights can be very misunderstood because they are very blunt, aggressive, strong, intense. And so they can appear to be quote unquote heartless or mean or whatever the word you want to use. But if people really understood an eight, they actually have extremely tender hearts. And they've been hurt or betrayed in some form or fashion while they were growing up. And so they put on this very thick armor to make sure that that will never happen again. Um, but if you take the time with an eight, what you'll see is that behind that thick armor is a very tender heart that is fearful of being um, at the mercy of injustice or harms, Um or manipulated in some form or fashion. So they put on that strong front. So I think that they can be misunderstood because people are seeing that strength and the um, the power versus the tenderness sometimes. Um, and fours feel the, mo- the most misunderstood. Mm. Um, and so they'll usually say that, like, I feel uh, misunderstood. My family didn't understand me. Um, people misunderstand me. Um, And so that's why they feel different and defective and flawed, that there's something unique about them, something different. But they also feel that because they feel defective and flawed, they have to show something unique and different to gain the love and admiration. Like, well, if I'm defective, like that puzzle, it better be the most spectacular puzzle on the planet because it has this missing piece. I have to draw the love and attention to the rest of the puzzle so that um i can be loved even if i'm defective. and so they're trying to display something unique and special and different about themselves. um so they'll say that they feel misunderstood. um but you know i think every type could easily say right. well, I feel misunderstood. yes um, yeah but those mm-hmm. would be the, the two i would say predominantly i Most, see yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. now i was going to ask you so since we're you know talking about marriage and whatnot and how the Enneagram can apply to that. Um, Some people may think, okay, so, you know, how can this really help a marriage? Um, How about you give us an example from your own marriage and um, how you use the Enneagram?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So, you know, I think a couple of examples that will be really helpful is um, me not understanding myself very much. Um, That can be a very frustrating piece for my husband or my family in general because it's like, why don't you know yourself? Ah, well, I feel the same way half the time. <laughs> like, ah. Um, and so now that they, and what happens with the nine is we, because we have merged um, and kind of taken on everyone else's life, we feel very overlooked. Um, and so we feel that our presence doesn't matter. And when I feel or sense that my presence doesn't matter, I get triggered and I get either really hurt. Or I can even get angry, especially in the family. Now, outside with everyone else, I'm super easygoing, laid back. As we all know, we're different with our family, and we're different with everyone else. And there's reasons for that, that I coach people through. Um, but with the family, I'm going to show that hurt and anger and irritability more with them. But then it's confusing to them because in their mind, they do think my presence matters. They they do love me. They do um Want me there, but because of how my personality is and how I see the world, my uh, perspective is that I instantly have that that base feeling of my presence doesn't matter, my voice doesn't matter, I'm being overlooked. And so, if I were to ask anyone in the family, um, or here here's a good example. Last night this happened. Um, I'm talking to my husband, and he's in the kitchen, and I'm in the living room, and he's going to get himself um, some drink. Well, I didn't know that. And so I'm just talking and all of a sudden kind of in the middle of, I mean, I was done with a sentence, but in the middle of me talking, he's crunching the ice and the ice maker and getting <laughs> water. And as a nine, I instantly felt, um, overlooked, not important, um, cut off. Now I know my husband loves and adores me. We're best friends, but that's how quickly it happens and so, even though I've been doing this work for 15 years, it doesn't mean that the coreness of that personality, the core lies, don't pop up instantly. Now, as it was happening, I knew exactly what was going on, and I knew exactly why I was feeling that way. But I was able to catch myself. So that rumble strip I was talking about at the
0: beginning—I
1: yeah. was able to catch myself and wake up and say, "It's not true. He loves you. He's listening. That's not how he sees the world. Just be patient." So when he came back, he sat down. I said. Okay. And I was laughing. I was like, okay, I gotta just let you know that when you did that, it totally triggered me. Now I said, I know you love me. I know that you weren't doing it intentionally to overlook me or, or make me feel this way, but I just want you to know that it totally tripped me up for a few seconds. And I had to really backpedal and say, no, that's not true. Here's the truth. Um, and that's just, I mean, it sounds like how could that little thing, but it really, when it hits our core fears and our weakness and everything, in our personality, it can trigger something so quickly. And we assume on people, so we call it a suicide, we assume (laughs) on people, what they're doing means something that it may not mean at all. And so to be able to understand how our personality works, and how their personality works, allows us to have a conversation, let's say outside in between us versus at each other. So when I was telling him that last night, I was able to say, hey, I just need you to know that when you did that without saying, Hey, I'm going to crunch some ice, just give me a second without saying anything and just doing it. That's what it made me feel. And then to reiterate to him now, I know you love me. So I know that wasn't your intention, but could you maybe (laughs) do it a little bit different next time? So I won't be triggered so quickly. Um, But at the same time, it's my responsibility to tend to myself and not force change onto my husband. Um, That doesn't work, as I'm sure a lot of people have tried. (laughs) Um, But when I focus on myself, and I focus on being more honest and forthright now, again, for the nines out there, I've done this for years, to even understand all that was just happening in that moment takes a lot of practice and time. But we're able to then sit there and have a nice conversation for me to be very honest and transparent, for him to hear my heart without feeling accused, because I was honestly saying, I know this isn't what you were doing or on purpose, but I need you to you know what it felt like for me. Um, and so we're able to have that conversation, which really enables us to have a richer, deeper, more transparent relationship that can honor one another for who we really are, not me trying to make him into a nine and him trying to make me a six. Of course, we still try to do that because we're humans. right? Uh, but it gives us that um, clarity in our marriage.
0: Hey, you guys, today's Mom of the Moment spotlight is Nadia Russell. Here's her story
2: Hey, moms, my name is Nadia. I'm here to tell you that there is hope. Hope for all your dreams and your goals. I found myself two years ago, over 320 pounds and miserable. I had no joy in my life, no excitement to be with my children or my husband. I was scared. I didn't know how I had even ended up in that situation. I'm proud to say that two years later, I am 120 pounds lighter. I have lost weight. I've gained back my confidence and I love life. I love meeting new people and coming together with other women and to inspire them. If you're wanting to change your situation, talk about your goals, and just meet new people and share your story, reach out to me at live life now with Nadia at gmail.com. And now back to
0: the show. I know that you do the coaching for couples and stuff like that, but you do them for individuals as well. So I wanted to ask you, will the Enneagram bring transformation even if our spouse is not interested in learning about himself? Like, do we need to do it together? What's your thoughts on that?
1: Right. Well, obviously it'd be amazing if both spouses could do it and both be, you know, long into it and just, you know, wanting to transform. But usually that's not the case. If anything, there's always one that's a little hesitant and one that's really going for it. Um, Now, sometimes it's both of them, but even in my marriage, it's my husband that's the one that's really into going deep and going inward Because the nines are like, I just want to be on this, like, not the surface so much, but I just want everything smooth. And I don't want to have to dig too deep. And because what if we uncover something or, you know, sweep a cabin and all the dust comes up? Mm -hmm. It's like (laughs) That's uncomfortable. So really, he's the one that has enabled me to take this path. Um, I'm more the one that's resistant than he is. But at the same time, it's been the greatest gift for me to have my husband do his own work and seeing the blessing it has on him and us for me then to follow and to, um, to push myself as, as much I can and asking the Holy Spirit to help me. Now, when He tries to push me, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, one, nines are the most stubborn on the Enneagram, and two, we're just humans. So, what I would say is, do your own work, and it will bless your marriage, no matter what. When you are fully free in the gospel, meaning you know your identity in Christ, you know your beloved you're set free, you're cherished, everything that you long for, you already have. And that's the whole point of my coaching is, let me help you to see that you already have what you long for. Um, And that will enable your heart to be free and open. And everything that you long for, you'll feel the flood of it coming in you from, from God. And so, what you want from others will just be like a cherry on top, like, oh, that's great that I got that, but you're not trying, you're not drowning anymore and pulling everyone down with you, trying to get it from them. Yeah. And so, yes. So when, when I am fully resting on who I am in Christ, even if my husband wasn't doing his work, I would still bring about change in our marriage because I wouldn't be trying to pull him down with me. And he would start to see that and be, you know, curious, but I have to let the Holy spirit do his work on my husband. I need to focus on myself. So yes, this totally can transform the marriage. In fact, my husband's always been the one to be the front runner in change. He was the first one in our marriage to apologize. um, Instantly, openly trusting the Lord and was like, whoa, what's this? And then it took me a long time to at least do it. We would actually even joke like, Hey, I apologize within 24 hours, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or uh, then it would, you know, a couple years later, it's like, Hey, look, it took only me a half a day, you know? Yeah. And so we would, we, the more we can insert play in the transformational process, instead of condemnation, shame, um, rejection, all those kind of things, it allows the transformation to go smoother, quicker, more beautifully. Um, but all that to be said, yes, do your work, be blessed Allow the Holy Spirit to do their work in their life. Don't try to change and transform them. Just allow the Spirit to do work in you and you will see great things.
0: That's great. So Beth, we're almost at the end of the show. Um, Can you share with us any suggestions on how to start learning more about the Enneagram? Like if if you're completely new to this and you're just like, I don't even know what my number is and I don't even know where to go from here, what do you suggest? Yeah,
1: Um, so I have designed a course. It's two hours long, which um, people that know the Enneagram, that's super short. Uh, because uh, the Enneagram is very big and complex and can be hard to understand when you read books, but it doesn't have to be. And so the gift that God has given me is to make things, the Enneagram, more like a Cliff Notes version. I'm giving you all the things that you really need to understand. I'm not losing the important content, but I'm making it so that you can understand it easily and then start applying it to your life um, immediately. And that's called Discovering You. It's an online course. So it's two hours long. It's broken down into 14 modules, about 10 minutes each. So you can watch just a few. You can watch the whole thing, binge watch it, get some popcorn, get your spouse, get a friend. Um, And there's a workbook that comes with it. It's downloadable. It's 42 pages. And it's a great resource to have from here to years to come, to reflect back, to have great conversations with friends. But that's where I'm going to teach you how to use your internal GPS, the Enneagram. What do the lines mean? How does the Enneagram work? How do you use it for transformation? So basically, like I would if I was sitting down with my mom with a real GPS, um, so that you will understand how to use the Enneagram for transformation. A lot of people are learning about their type or just trying to find their type. And that is literally maybe 10 or 20% of what the Enneagram is and the power that it has. What you really want to know is what is the Enneagram and how does it work and how to use it? And that's what Discovering You does. But I also at the end, go over all nine types in a much deeper way than I did here so that you can make sure you find your main type. Um, And so that's called Discovering You. The next thing is Exploring You, where I take you now that you know your type and I take you through a five-session coaching series now that I can do that in person or I have a course that takes uh, you through it at a much cheaper price. Um, Now that Exploring You course already has in it discovering you. So that might be a great investment to just go ahead and get that, but that's a fabulous way to truly understand why you do what you do and how to allow the gospel to transform you. I basically take you step-by-step helping you to stretch and grow without being overwhelmed. So each session you'll have a guide sheet that walks you through your personality and bite-sized lessons. Um, And that's basically the two steps I would say to really go for it. So it's discover, explore, so you
0: can become your truest self in Christ. That's awesome. So Beth, where can people find you on social media and your website?
1: Yeah. Okay, so Instagram is really where most people are at with me. We have over 15,000 followers as of right now. That's a great community. Um, I do a new series every two weeks and I focus on a certain topic and show that topic, how it uh, plays out for each type. And that's your Enneagram coach on Instagram. You can find me on your Enneagram Coach on Facebook, and you can come to my website at yourenneagramcoach.com. Up in the right hand corner, it will say uh, take a free assessment, and there I will show you step by step how to find your type for free.
0: That's great. And Beth, um, you are so kind that you are offering 50% off to the Mom Inspired show listeners on the course, Discovering You. So you guys, all you have to do is use the coupon code, Discovering You. And I will make sure to put that in the uh, show notes. I'll do all the links and I'll include the different types of coaching Uh, that Beth provides in the show notes as well. I personally do the couples coaching with Todd. And, but like I said before, there's also individual coaching if your spouse doesn't want to tag along, but you can still learn more about yourself. So Mm -hmm. Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so much fun learning more about the Enneagram and how it can play such an important role in our marriage. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Hey you guys. So if this Enneagram stuff sounds super exciting and you want to find out more about Beth's coaching, just go to mominspiredshow.com forward slash 71. And in her show notes, I'm going to list all the links that you can click on to check out all the coaching that she does. And then you can go to her website and take the free assessment. So I hope that you enjoyed this show and I will see you next week.